today on the Magnificently Huge podcast, the music and the magic of Giorgio Moroder. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson, three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Listen to that. Yeah, listen to that. That's that's awesome sauce is what that is. I bet you didn't even know that was awesome sauce. That's awesome sauce. Giorgio Moroder is the reason you've got electronic music. He is the pioneer who started this in the 70s when people were consumed with funk bands. This this Italian man was making disco music and moving into soundtracks and changing the landscape in just a beautiful way. Some of the best really white music for all two white white people. We're going to talk about Giorgio Moroder today and along the way maybe learn a lesson. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Let's get to the show, eh? It's like disco craft work. That's yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's it. That's totally the vibe for Marauder. Like, at least that it's like period. craft work if you wanted to get laid. Basically, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we get to. Yeah, that's wow. Like, we're way, we're way, at, so far ahead of our skis here. Hi, we're everybody. so into our subject podcast. this week that we're already talking about it. Yeah, this podcast is already in progress. It's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. My levels are wicked high. Okay. All right. Do we want to? No, no, no. Down? We're good. Let's just keep going. I'll yeah. throw a blanket or well, something. Welcome to the On Media Res podcast. My name is Brian. This is Chris. <laughs> and I'm Eric, and you're listening to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Uh, so, yes. once again, tell the folks at home what our topic du jour is. Today we're discussing Giorgio Moroder, which <laughs> I told them about about 120 <laughs> seconds ago. There's this little 30 yeah, second yeah. back button on your podcast player, likely. Why don't you tap back a couple times and you can hear me say it again if you need to know. Yeah. But Giorgio Moroder is an Italian who knows how to make uh, computers sing yeah. in electric dreams. <laughs> he's, oh, a, shit. he's a legend. And also, I, I went back to I went I went through his his catalog, and he did songs for Electric Dreams, and I realized this is this is a prequel to the Terminator. Yeah, we can get into <laughs> it, but basically, just uh, suffice that Georgie Maroder is a friend of the show, in so much yeah. as that we've done multiple episodes now where we have talked at length about yeah. him. So it's been tangentially related, kind of in the background. Yeah, but now it's actually his show, which is nice. Yes. Uh, But we also only had like three days to prepare. So that's also fun. Well, Uh, three days to prepare for the show, a lifetime of preparation with Mr. Maroder. Yeah, which we can get into. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. Did anybody do any fresh shit in three days? This shit is fresh. I did. Uh, what you got? I feel like now that we're in pandemic mode, Eric is just doing way more than he would normally do just because he's got nothing else to do. It's true. Less yeah. time in the car, more time, yeah. I guess, wasting time. Farting around. Uh, okay. Yeah. So um, I 
started reading a book. Another one? Yeah. God damn it. Uh, I, I started reading almost on a dare, because everyone ke- always has been telling me for years to read it. Mm-hmm. Stephen King's Dark Tower One, The Gunslinger. Ooh, I, I, still, mm-hmm. I stopped my King readings well before that shit started coming out. So I keep I, giving him a chance, you know? I can't. Uh, the, I just can't. Apparently, the earlier stuff is... Well, the thing is, this is a really interesting concept, but you know what? That motherfucker, he... I. I, I'm, I'm into this and I'm reading it. I'm going, oh, yeah, this is good, this is good. And then I go, wait a minute. I only have like 30 pages left. And this is this is like a very long short story. Yeah, it's a novella, basically. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, the, I, the, I, they got stretched out to like 17 volumes or something, right? Eight and a short story. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and an equally awful movie starring Idris Elba and uh, yeah. Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah. Right, I'm interested right, in seeing right. it, but... I, 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 yeah, I'm reading this and I'm going, I love that he shoots people a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. It's a fun read. Uh, I, I, I actually, I do recommend it, but I'll have to let you know if it's worth reading the rest of them once I move on to the second, because I'm going to read these bastards. Well, back when I worked in Ooh. the bookstore, uh, they were very popular items continually yeah. and I could never figure out why. People who read uh, but, Stephen know. King always say when you when you're like, oh yeah, I read this. They're always like, oh, you gotta read the Dark Tower. Like, All right, <laughs> okie All right, I guess. All right. Yeah. Okay. Do I do I need to really do? I I need to. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, good. But you're yeah. you're enjoying it so far. Uh I am. I am. Well, I mean, I have enjoyed it. I'm almost done. I. I didn't get it done in time for the show, but I got through it enough to recommend it. It doesn't sound very Stephen Kingy either. Well, it doesn't. It isn't like a pop culture thick. So, did you just read the first volume though? You're not done with the whole series, right? Oh no! Oh God, no! Just okay. that first book, The okay. Gunslinger. Okay. Which is like the intro. They all tell you if you like, you know, that. I guess you'll like the rest. Uh. I, I find it hard to believe anyone reads the first one and dislikes it and then reads the rest and does like it, you know? <laughs> the Dark Tower always struck me as sort of like a television series in book form. That's all like, Stephen King, I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. unlike, uh, say, something like Dune, where the first book is super solid, amazing, and then uh, I, I delved into the second one after that a long time ago and I'm like yeah. oh, I'm gonna put it down for a bit and then everyone went back so yeah without going heavily into Dune I've always felt that that was like he wrote a great book and then he got a publishing deal and he said well I guess I'll go <laughs> dig into my notes <laughs> yeah. then fucking sell out Frank Herbert yeah. god damn it the Dune okay. Silmarillion yeah <laughs> basically <laughs> good one uh, yeah. And so, also, let's see, last night, this is not fresh. Uh, this is just shit. Well, it's fresh. Uh, I watched Green Lantern uh, because. We've never it done was it on, on the show. No. And <laughs> I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. I wrote my adaptation for a Green Lantern trilogy in the Zeros. And uh, so. They obviously fucked it up because they did nothing like what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. But the thing well, is, watching yeah. this now, I go, compared to what DC makes these days, it's very well done. 
Well, I mean, it's Martin Campbell, who is yep. a very workmanlike director who manages to crank out very entertaining bits of film. <laughs> but he just doesn't get a lot of kudos for that sort of thing. He starts but a lot of watch- stuff that people finish up, you know? But you watch the Zack Snyder of superhero movies, and it's like, wow, he really does not know how to tell a story at all. Martin Campbell, give him this. It's structurally sound. It it yeah. it moves correctly. Whoever yeah. wrote it wrote acts, you know, well, and, and it's not a bunch of set pieces. I like that uh, you sent us a late night text, as you want to do when you were watching these mm-hmm. things, and saying, you know, it's not half bad. It's like, oh, God, it's Batman v Superman all over again. But that's the thing. It's actually compared to Batman v Superman. It's not half bad. It's yeah. not Marvel I, quality. Yeah, I fucking I, hate- actually no. I I will say I put it uh, uh, nose to nose with Captain Marvel, which I didn't think was that good either. Really? Uh, you know what? Uh, I think that's fair. Okay. In fact, I think that, it's almost the same story. Basically, except that uh, Captain Marvel doesn't have the big oogie smog gunk, jello cloud blob thing. Uh, to yeah, that's the, the only thing it doesn't have. Otherwise, it's still got like weird colored aliens well, and be, zappy powers. Uh, they're both basically just uh, comic book adaptations of Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin. I mean, it's you know the the mm-hmm. gray powers thrust upon the person uh, through the mystical training, and then they got to go beat the baddie. I mean, it's your typical. You just shop. got like. You yeah. just got, like, way too smart for me, dude. It's too, I don't know what that is. It's basically, it's a Shaw Brothers 70s kung fu flick just gussied up for comic book form. That's oh, good. You didn't get too smart for me. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I'm... <laughs> I, I'm, But I'm watching some, like... You know, the, the only thing that bugs me is the sort of makeup effects. But knowing it's 2004, I'll give them that. Yeah. The big yeah, sin so was it, they kept devolving into a romance, and he kept not being Deadpool. I mean, this was, I think, what, strike two in the Ryan Reynolds comic book failures before he did Deadpool? What was the other right. one? Uh, before that was uh, X-Men Wolverine. Oh, and the third I one always, was... Yeah, you can tell I blocked that one entirely because I always... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where they kind of did uh, uh, Deadpool, but not really. You can tell that whoever wrote that had never read an X-Men comic. And the third one was R.I.P.D., which I I, I I think Ryan Reynolds will actually have you killed if you mention it out loud in media. I think I think I actually, if you go back in our early podcast somewhere, I I talk about R.I.P.D. on this show. Yeah, yeah. You can go find that, which is <laughs> which is basically just a really shitty Men in Black ripoff. I mean, it's it just is, yeah. almost beat for beat. It's fucking pathetic. <laughs> Yeah. Ryan Reynolds basically was doing everything he could to never be in movies again during the zeros. Yeah. And then he made Deadpool and history just sort of got rewritten. Well, I like that that. you mentioned that uh, Taika Waititi is his buddy. in Yeah. How weird is that? (laughs) Because it reminded me of this thing I saw. There was like a promo reel for uh, Free Guy, which is a Ryan Reynolds one that has yet to come out because of all this weirdness. But he and Taika Waititi basically did a bit where they... uh, talk about <laughs> how they worked on green lantern uh but they really didn't uh have any respect for it i mean they just trash each other <laughs> uh for being in it etc i mean it's the it's a youtube <laughs> clip that you can find but it's quite funny because they're just very dry and uh <laughs> and, and, oh make a note yeah um and the other thing i watched which i thought was new because uh, uh marvel 
not Marvel, sorry, Netflix said it was, but Netflix lied, was a movie called Spectral. Have you heard of this movie, Spectral? Not at all. No. Uh, It's a sort of military sci-fi movie from 2016, uh, it turns out. And yeah, there's like a war and these guys with these new... uh, night vision scope things are seeing these weird spectral images and then they're attacking soldiers and the soldiers are dying and it turns into a bunch of ghosts basically attacking soldiers and soldiers figuring out all these sciencey ways to fight back it's it's really stupid it's deliciously stupid though I highly (laughs) recommend it I highly recommend it it's like a great dumb piece of fun Though, um, I, I I think that uh, so science oh God, why can't ghosts. I think of him? Why can't I think of him? Uh, er, er, the 2012 guy, uh, Emmerich, who we did a whole fucking show on. Yeah, Roland Emmerich should have should have done this. Though it probably would have been dumber. There's actually some pretty pretty I don't know plausible sciencey stuff to it until they start making ray guns and you go oh i'm in dumb down (laughs) science soldier space ghost yes yes okay the the scientist at darpa who made all their imaging stuff gets asked to come out to the front line because they're seeing some weird shit they cannot explain and then he looks at it and goes well holy fuck i don't know and Instead of just saying that's a ghost or saying that's a this, that's a that's a stealth thing, the main character applies the scientific method throughout. We don't have enough information. We need to do this. We need to. I'm like, okay, it's all silliness, but I love the way they wrote uh, Peter Badge Dale, who can sell anything. I think, but they wrote a smart character. Um, yeah, watch it. Spectral. It's fun. Not to be confused with Spectre, which sucks. Yes. Control. Okay. And speaking of which, uh, last not last night, the night before last night, I had a James Bond movie dream where I got to watch. Uh, 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 no, Time to Die, and I, I, it was like my mind's version of what the movie will be, based only on the preview I saw, <laughs> like uh, a month ago. Yeah. I, I, and apparently, he is going to uh, lose his house to uh, some 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 scammers. From from Nigeria, because that's what I dream about all the time. Only it happens to Daniel Craig. <laughs> uh, I'm just uh, waiting for it with dread because it's been postponed <laughs> now. And I feel like because we get all these clips of Rami Malek and basically it looks like they're bringing back Dr. No. So now all I can think of is Dr. No, time to die another day. I mean, that's. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, time to shit. die another day. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about you saying Rami Malek is Doctor No. Well, because they've done all the like the the retcon oh. shit now, where they bring him back and all the classics. Gotten there, so so that's why it's called No Time to Die. Apparently, no time that's to die. conjecture, but you know oh. it's gonna suck balls. That's all I'm saying. And will his oh, wife Jesus. die at the end God, because so. uh, Blofeld like shoots up the car? God, let's hope. So. You know, like now we're mixing in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. But on that note, okay. uh, if you have Kindle Unlimited I, uh, as well, all of the Bond no- novels from Ian Fleming are on Kindle Unlimited right now. So 
Yeah, I've read them all, and I'm like, they're fun, but they're trite, and yeah. you know, you can write, oh. you can read them on the toilet. I'm not yeah. that impressed. Oh, they're trash. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong, they're fucking trash, but they're fun. Yeah, trash. much better as movies, not much better. That's <laughs> yeah. all. I'm all right, which yeah. is which is less trash, the Dark Tower or the James Bond novels? Uh oh, man, that's hard. Oh yeah, think about it. Well, I think <laughs> I think I gotta say answer. the I think I gotta say the the Stephen King novels just because he's actually reaching for something, and the Ian Fleming books are like Tom Clancy without the research. You know? Yeah. At least with Tom Clancy, you learn some neat technical junk. Yeah. Whatever. Right on. All right, onwards. Go. Chris, what's fresh shit? Uh, well, I'll just follow up on the book thing, uh, cause for a while now I had been trying to read or reread, uh, the full Lord of the Rings, uh, which is like 1200 pages or something. Uh, I hadn't read it since I was about 15. So I thought, what the fuck I'll do it again. And you read I'm, the whole thing at 15. Yeah. That's the age. A lot of people read it yeah. like 13 to 15. That's, yeah. that's sort of where it gets people. Yeah. Uh, and I hadn't really, I hadn't picked it up since. And then of course the movies came out, etc. Uh, so I'm like, I'll just do a reread. Uh, I quit about three chapters into the final installment, Return of the King, cause it's just mm. a, not a good book. I don't remember it being that <laughs> goddamn bad, uh, if I'm being honest. And I know that's going to be a hot take on popular opinion, but good Lord, Tolkien can't write for shit. It's sort of like reading the Bible, honestly. Yeah, uh, it's just so and so begat so and so, and this is from that family. And here's a oh, another poem in Elfin. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, I think it's from a period in literature where like writing stolidly meant important. Well, you can. I mean, Tolkien was doing the Bible for Middle Earth, right? Like he was basically just doing a whole history of made up shit. Yeah, basically he he did. Lord of the Rings is sort of a way to not do his actual work in scholarship. Uh, and it, and it shows it's basically like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll write another 300 pages on the history of this dwarf family that lived in a mountain. Uh, you know, and then here's another poem. Oh, just stop. But they're with the all dead now. So it yeah. doesn't really impact our story. <laughs> so, so yeah. So that's just a sidebar. Uh, if you, if you ever think you want to reread Lord of the Rings, uh, don't. Yeah, I think maybe maybe uh, Howard Shore should write a companion uh, uh, soundtrack novel to the novel Lord of the Rings because <laughs> that's pretty much the only way you can get through the the movies. Does, yeah, does it need to have occasional like big exciting stabs to wake you up? Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it really does. Yeah, it really face. does. Uh, okay, but it did give me and a, a newfound. Every time it calms down, it goes, "Oh, Sam." <laughs> yeah, but it did give Dem me a, new, a newfound respect for the films because. Uh, <laughs> They they definitely cut out a lot of the fat and uh, made it yeah. interesting. So yeah, kudos and to, that, to Peter the Jackson. fight. The fight in the two towers happens in the beginning of the book. Yeah, and then a bunch of nothing happens, and yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's, that ain't gonna happen in a movie. It's a big snoozer. Uh, so yeah, so th- I moved on from that. I just I finally just said fuck it, and uh, and just randomly picked up uh, the book Pritzi's Honor by Richard Condon. Uh, that was a 1985 film uh, adaptation with Nicholson and uh, what's her face, Catherine uh, Angelica Houston, Angelica Houston, and Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner, that's the one. Uh, so I said, oh, the very it. creepy old guy from all the very creepy old yeah, guy movies, William Hickey. Have a cookie, William Hickey. Uh, 
but that was one of the final uh, John Huston movies too. So it's really fun. But I'm like, oh sure, I'll, I'll read it, whatever. Uh, and it's actually quite entertaining. It's quite fun. It's basically just a comic mob novel, which I had no <laughs> idea because this is the guy that wrote Manchurian Candidate for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah. And this this is a book that reads an awful lot like an Elmore Leonard tale. So it's fun. It's a quick read uh, and very sharp. So that was my pick of the week for books. Uh, other than that, uh, movie-wise, I did on Netflix watch, because it showed up, uh, The Death of Stalin. Have you guys seen that? I've seen previews, have not watched. <laughs> have <laughs> it's, not. It's uh, from Armando Iannucci, the guy that did In the Thick of It, and Veep. Uh, and it's based on like a French graphic novel or something. But basically, it's an, an absurdist, satiric look at the power vacuum that's left in Russia in the early 50s after <laughs> Stalin dies of a stroke and it's just like all of his lackeys who are ministers are basically just backstabbing each other and, and trying to figure out a way to get to the <laughs> the top spot and uh, the, it's fun I mean it's okay it's a black comedy for sure but I use all like English and American actors and they don't even use Russian accents they just drop Good. them in and, and do they their regular be. accents yeah uh, so it basically takes you out of it a little bit and you can realize what they're doing. But the reason you watch this movie, bar none, is because Steve fucking Buscemi plays Khrushchev and it kills. It's <laughs> so funny. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's goofy. It definitely is. Uh, but they're basically just uh, making a statement about how totalitarian regimes, their whole purpose for existence is maintaining a totalitarian regime <laughs> they don't care about anything else and so it's just all the jockeying and backstabbing so if you can catch it it's fun i enjoyed it yeah. uh, so it's kind of like watching the news yeah a little bit it's uh it okay. had some very uncomfortable uh connections to kind of what we see with with trump and his cronies uh, I think it's important to not compare Trump to Hitler because that's a whole that carries its own baggage you yeah. got to compare him to Stalin you know because yeah. it, it does all the same stuff as Hitler in yeah. that comparison, but without the Jews, yeah. you know, because well, they're Stalin or, not doing death camps. Yeah. I would think if you're going to compare Trump to any fated dictator of your, uh, I think Il Duce. Yeah, Il Duce yeah. would be probably the most apt. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's fascism without any of the forethought. Basically. And the really goofy faces. <laughs> yeah. They both do those goofy faces. As a yeah, kid, I'd yeah. see movies of Mussolini and go, how did anybody follow this goofball? He's making these cartoon faces. Yeah. And well, now we've <laughs> yeah. got him. And basically the fact that uh, Mussolini always got owned by everybody else around him who was a world leader. So that definitely fits mm. Trump to a T. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that was my comedy of the week. And then I, I delved into finally... Uh, the movie Ip Man, starring Donnie Yen. Oh, okay. Which is, you know... Just, How was that? It's, it's I, I'm surprised. told I'm supposed to see it. Well, there's like four movies in the series now. It's basically about Ip Man, yeah. the guy who taught Wing Chun Kung Fu uh, to a bunch of people, Bruce Lee, most notable among his students. Uh, I... I saw the listing for Intellectual Property Man, but I did had no interest in watching. I figured it was like lawyers and junk. No, no, this is the, the whole the whole different ballgame. No, it's basically no, that. that's where everybody wing chunks tonight. Yeah, everybody wing chunk tonight. Yeah. Uh, but it's like start like 2015, I guess it started. But he's a it man is basically just this ginormous Chinese folk hero. 
his story picks up where the Japanese have in, invaded China during World War II and everything goes to shit. And then it's basically him uh, squaring off against some uh, jackass Japanese general uh, who does like fight leagues, fight club, where he makes the Chinese kung fu people come in and fight for rice uh, to, to the death. Uh, and it man says, hey, wait a minute, I'm not having that. And then kicks his ass at the end. Uh, there's no shocker. You'll know it's coming, but it's Donnie Yen who everybody knows from, uh, like rogue one and he was in blade two. Uh, but he's a big, big giant star in China. So he makes a lot of fun movies and he's a very good martial artist. And then the fight choreography is done by, uh, Sammo Hung, who's another big luminary in the, mm-hmm. the Kung Fu realm. And it's fun. It's entertaining, but my wife and I are watching it just going, he's a goddamn Chinese folk hero, this man. It's just a goddamn Chinese folk hero because that's really how they set everything up. It's like, oh, he's like he's like bigger than Jesus. Oh my God, he's a goddamn Chinese folk hero. Are you kidding me? But I didn't think the Chinese cared about intellectual property, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies the weird conundrum. So yeah, uh, but the the first three are on Netflix, so we're gonna start watching through that, and then the fourth one's out there somewhere, and we'll find it eventually. Uh, but I think by the fourth one, it's actually him in the '60s teaching who's, Bruce who's Lee. Who's the Western star that he fights? Like, is it Chuck Norris or is it um, uh, like he fights somebody like Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris or something like that in one of these? I want to say uh, Chuck Norris, maybe. That'd be cool if it was Chuck Norris because yeah, Chuck Norris was the guy who fought Bruce Lee. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's, my. It's, it's, yeah, I, def- uh, I believe it is Chuck Norris. Yeah, I have a, a cultural blind side when it comes to a lot of the Chinese history stuff. So, you know, it's I'm learning through these movies and uh, I'm I'm an expert now because I've seen Ip Man. So, yeah. <laughs> but, so and that other wacky shit you mentioned uh, about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. So Death of the Stalin. The 32 Wakabakas or whatever that oh, was. 36, the- 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Yeah. yeah. Hot, hot. Watch it. That's uh, that's got Gordon Liu. He's the guy that played the kung fu master in the Kill Bill movies. So that's Tarantino just uh, eating his own tail yet again. Oh so, wait, uh-huh. I am so wrong. It's Mike Tyson is who I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, wow. I confuse him with Chuck Norris all the time. Don't worry about I, it. I I yeah. So it's Mike Tyson and Ip Man three. Okay, fighting Donnie Yen. That's what huh. that's what I meant to was okay. trying to refer okay. to. Well, that gives you something to look forward to now. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got this week. All right. So I feel like, you know, with you guys, with your books, I feel like it's sort of, you know, (laughs) welcome to Magnificently Huge Literary Corner. Not exactly, because I read Stephen King, and he's barely a book writer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm going to be like, hey, guys, what's up? I got some new video games. So that's pretty much me, right? Are you playing Animal Crossing? I am not. um, Okay. Because I don't have any friends. So, Are you playing the video game tie-in to Sonic the Hedgehog? Because yeah, no, no, that so, thing seems like it's built for a video game tie-in. <laughs> to me, yes. uh, no, I'm playing games that. Uh, let me guess. Here we go. Eric's gonna gonna not care about any of this. Um, so. A couple of games that are actually kind of similar in their own way, and I'm not sure which one. If either, I feel like tackling because they're both like freaking long. Um, and that is um, Near Automata and the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, so, 
both of them are sort of modern takes on the Japanese RPG style, which is to say that they're super long and they're super like lots of characters and they're very anime influenced in their design and the environments are kind of sparse um, and they're both kind of have this weird uh, I don't know I played the demo for Final Fantasy 7 remake and I played the first bit of Nier Automata and they both seem to be taking place in some industrial like place in, in in Final Fantasy you're terrorists and you're trying to blow up a reactor and in near yeah. you're traversing this area that uh, was left behind by the humans that are long since gone um, yeah. I, Final Fantasy 7 is the real Final Fantasy all the Final Fantasy games are based on because they wanted the rest of them to be that good and they could never do it and so I wasn't surprised when they remade it they're kind of it's kind of like throwing up your hands and going ah oh, fuck it here here's the one that worked yeah, and I, here's where I turn in my, my old school gamer credentials. I only played the first Final Fantasy VII for like 20 minutes, and then I was just like, I'm not this this audience. You know, mm. I didn't I didn't play it. So I I, don't I have played it to meet a girl. Comparison. Yeah. <laughs> I played it to meet a girl who was into anime and and like manga shit, and it worked. I got laid. Congratulations, Yay. you've died of dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> So, Final Fantasy VII Remake looks cool because it actually fulfills the promise of, uh, you know, somebody once said to me, is like, call me when video games actually look as good as the cutscenes in this game. Well, this looks better than, like, the CG movie Final Fantasy VII Advent Children that they made, you know, a pre-rendered movie a while back. Uh, It looks phenomenal. Now you're making me remember Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, which now makes me think of whatever Eric had described with Spectral. Uh, <laughs> so never come in full circle. Sorry, my mind went, whoa, go ahead. So I think Final Fantasy might get the nod just because it seems really polished and um, the writing seems solid and the voice acting seems solid and the, they seem to know what they're doing. Um, but I got to say the combat in Nier Automata is so much more fun. Um, Final Fantasy's combat is is this kind of weird thing where you're basically playing real time except you're also playing an RPG. So you're having to like flip between characters and have them target different enemies and trigger different abilities and heal up and all this stuff, but it's all just unfolding in real time and it only slows down when you're navigating the menus. Otherwise, you're literally trying to control multiple characters in a video game and have a fight and it's it's kind of I- intimidating. Yeah. I think you need traditional RPG controls for that kind of stuff. I don't know what the new one's like. I One of the reasons I wasn't into Final Fantasy VII at the time was the only JRPG I've ever finished was Skies of Arcadia on the Sega Dreamcast, and that was completely turn-based. Like, you could just, like, put the controller down and go eat dinner in the middle of a fight, and the game <laughs> would just wait for you to figure out what you wanted to do next. And I liked that. That, that allowed me to get through an otherwise really long game. The other thing about Final Fantasy VII that's kind of scaring me off is... I know that this game is now, this new one is 40 hours long, but it only covers 25% of the story that was told in the previous 40-hour-long game. Oh. Like, they they only do the city part at the beginning. Oh. And then the game ends after 40 fucking hours, so it seems like an, an just an unbelievably large time commitment that I'm not sure I'm willing to make. That seems like yeah, a racket, man. It- 
Is this title for a video game not the worst selection of all time? Not only is it not final, it's like even this individual <laughs> final is not final. This individual final is going to require four <laughs> finals just so you can get to the eighth final, which is not final. Yeah, we mean it. This is it. No, it's yeah. more like quarterfinal fantasy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> semifinal fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> um. So near Automata, the cool thing is that the combat is like arcadey combat. So, um, it literally starts off as like a um, a shooter, like 1942 from the arcades, where it's top down and there's a whole bunch of bullets and you're flying a spaceship and you're shooting things. And then the camera pivots, and then it becomes like Robotron, where you've got a twin-stick shooter. And then your character lands on the ground, and it becomes like Bayonetta, and you're kicking shit's ass. And then it sort of keeps transitioning between those. So it's Bayonetta, but you're also a twin-stick shooter, and it's like, I don't know. I'm loving that. That's so much fun. So I don't know. Um, Both are supposed to be good games. Final Fantasy's kind of got the zeitgeist. It looks really polished, but Nier might get me. We'll see. Uh, but the just, game that did actually, that I might actually finish is the, uh, the third one I'm going to talk about, which is on Xbox Game Pass at the moment. And it's this tiny little, like, only takes a couple hours to finish, cute as shit little platformer called Pikuniku, which is Japanese for picnic. That's easy for you to say. You're this little red dude with a uh, very expressive running animation. Uh, who comes out of his cave where he's been trapped in a mountain and everybody in the village thinks you're the big scary monster that was trapped in the mountain, but then you turn out to be this cute little red blob and it's 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 a standard sort of Metroidvania platformer, puzzle platformer game, but it's very focused and it knows exactly what it is and it's funny and um, self-referential and short. And I like all of these things. Yeah, short is good, especially if you're just looking to kill time without making an effort. Yeah, so Pikuniku, if you've got Game Pass, you know, sure, fire it up for a couple hours. You could do worse yeah. things. Yeah, why not? Right on. So and up, after you finished playing Final Fantasy, you can watch The NeverEnding Story, the other <laughs> thing that's poorly <laughs> titled. Yeah, which why? is also, That by sounds the like way. a segue to the rest of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about penultimate fantasy first? <laughs> no, that's the fresh shit. <laughs> Damn it. What prompted you to choose Giorgio Moroder for our topic this week, Eric? Because uh, Giorgio Moroder is producing the next Duran Duran album. And oh, I heard really? that and I went, holy shit, how has that never happened? That sounds perfect, especially since... Uh, uh, Nile Rodgers has been producing the best Duran Duran stuff, and Nile Rodgers and Giorgio Moroder are like, I don't know. I don't know if they've ever worked together. They've probably worked together, but they seem like they're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. So, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, let's dig into some Giorgio. Well, yeah. He, he may make the first good uh, Duran Duran album in a couple decades. At least. <laughs> no pun intended. Well, I'll tell you, because uh, you sent me on a Moroder rabbit hole of sorts in the last couple of days. Cause I'm like, I, I know his stuff, but how much of it do I really know? And so yeah. I, I ganked it up on uh, YouTube there and I found a whole bunch of new shit, like the post Daft Punk era. Mm -hmm. um, and he's got this. Yeah. He's been doing like uh, covers. Yeah. Right? Did you With, check yeah, out the, uh, the signature style? 
Did you check out the Tom's Diner cover he did with Britney Spears? Yeah, as, I didn't know that was Britney Spears, but yeah. I heard the cover and I thought, yeah, I dig it. And then there's, uh, he also has one that he did on some other album, just him, called 74 is the new 24. And it's a fucking banger, man. It's a banger. <laughs> That's the best title. I love it. Dude still got it. I gotta tell yeah. you. I think I think in most of his recent stuff, ironically, most of his recent stuff is way better than the Daft Punk song called yeah. Giorgio Moroder, the tribute to him. It's like the the guys who took his mantle and ran with it are nowhere near as good as him. No, which is funny because uh, he's one of those guys that like falls into obscurity unless you talk to people who know the era. Well, yeah. so set the table, because let's assume our audience has no idea what we're talking yeah. about. Who is Giorgio well, Moroder? I was going up, but then Chris wouldn't shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Giorgio Moroder, composer from Italy, uh, a guy who made, uh, I mean, schmoopy, ballady stuff, but really got into the electronic movement. Uh, he, he did music with Donna Summer. This is, the, this is the part of the research that interested me the most as a fan of soundtracks. He did a song with Donna Summer that was the intro song to this podcast, I Feel Love, which is just like the ultimate song for either driving really fast on the freeway or going on a gangland shooting. It is just yeah. intense and boom, 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 boom. Well, when they made the movie Midnight Run, the producer said, I want something like this song with this kind of movement to it. So they basically went to Giorgio Moroder to get him to do another version of I Feel Love for this movie, Yeah, which he did in the form of a song called The Chase, which if you ever heard it, you know you've heard it before. It's, it's like yeah. it's the, one the that background won the music Oscar. to anything. Yeah. yeah, and he gets, and he wins an Oscar out of nowhere never did soundtrack work and suddenly he's got an oscar which then makes him the guy to hire and yeah. so his soundtrack work takes off and he does soundtracks for some of the most i don't know not the best movies not the best soundtracks no but the most effective soundtracks for a movie his well, scarface soundtrack is the one that i always go back to American Gigolo, obviously, yeah.
about you guys? Cat people. Cat oh, yeah, the David Bowie uh, putting out the fire with gasoline uh, single from Cat People. Well, there's there's the version that's on Serious Moonlight, which is good, but then the Giorgio Moroder one for that movie is just hits. Yeah. Don't forget, he also did the stuff for Top Gun. So he's he's been on record says "Take My Breath Away" is probably his favorite thing he's ever done. Take yeah. that for what it's worth. Uh, but you were talking about the chase being borrowed from "I Feel Love." Did you notice mm-hmm. too that the love theme from Midnight Express sounds an awful lot like the opening? music to Top Gun as well. Hmm. So if you listen to the love scene theme, oh. I'm like, holy shit. So this guy's basically made a career out of just sort of cribbing himself and nobody notices. Yeah. It's like, that's amazing. One of the things they that the people who work with him have said is that he's just into... It's funny. It's like he likes things simple, but more than that, he likes to go home early. It's yeah. like he will say, "I just do the thing," and okay, let don't overthink it. Just do it. Just get it and go. I can see where somebody like that would end up sort of, I don't know, cribbing from themselves a lot. Yeah, yeah it's it's well, uh, it's really weird when you listen to it because it's like, oh, I I just heard that song. And now I'm hearing it again, but it's a different song. <laughs> nice. So so yeah, my thing with Marauder was. You know, as a as a big fan of electronic music in general. Now we're talking about the history of electronic music, right? Yeah. And so what we're dealing with here is a guy who really was one of the most influential producers in electronic music. And back in the seventies, you know, you don't really have MIDI or proper sequencers. If you had a sequencer, it was a box that, like, you know, you did the sequencing in. But most of what he's doing is using arpeggiators. In the synthesizers, right? So he's basically holding down a chord, and it's going to right? And he's able to, you know, so he gets that very steady rhythm without the help of computers, because we just did not really have the kind of computers that people think about at all. Because it was all like the stuff just plugged in like a telephone switchboard. Right, right. So it's, you know, it's very manual, and that's what made uh, Kraftwerk and Marauder such a big deal back in the day. But yeah, you know, there's only so many arpeggiator patterns you were going to get out of those machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So that's true. one of the reasons he's ripping himself off is using the same arpeggios, right? But yeah, right. Um, yeah he, he brought with Donna Summer... You know, he really broke through with this uh, techno disco sound in the late 70s. And he had a solo album and he did the stuff with the Sparks for number one on Heaven. And just, you know, completely, to this day, you play with Giorgio Moroder and it, you're just like, oh, so all these people listening to EDM now... It's the same stuff. Yeah, they can yeah. like him. It really is the same stuff. And the thing he does better than them, though, is he'll he'll find that groove, and, and it'll it'll be you know the, the same thing with this this EDM music. But then 
with that music, it just sort of keeps playing that same thing over and over and over. He would layer it. It's like 16, 16 right. measures in, he'd go, okay, and now this wacky piece of shit. And then this one. And it, yeah. it builds into something just huge. It's not a wall of sound. It's It's... A collection of flavors? I don't know. My metaphor is choking me. Well, he is literally uh, a, like a Phil Spector of the disco era. He's like the, mm. the luminary that sort of changed everything, but in such a way that it was almost immediate. That's the thing that sort of wows me. Because you yeah. can hear, you can like hear disco up to about 75, 76, and then you get I Feel Love, and you're like, oh, fuck. And then everything starts to sound like that, and then it's mm-hmm. like... So now he's associated with, you know, Nagel Prince and, uh, you know, that kind of <laughs> shit. Uh, but, it, like I said earlier, he's sort of the like a disco version of Kraftwerk because it's all bloops and squarks, but he puts a really driving backbeat to it that uh, just yeah. works. And I found this weird mashup on YouTube where somebody took the, the model, my Kraftwerk, and they mashed it with the Chase, like Marauder, uh, and it's called Chase the Model, and it fits. It's so weird because they're two dis- disparate songs, but they're of the same uh, palette, I guess. And so they sound amazing together. So if you can find huh. that, I would recommend it. It's pretty so Brian, favorites of uh, Georgia Marauder? Well, worth mentioning. I mean- we gotta call this out. We're gonna be doing his Spotify. We gotta call out "Call Me," right from American yeah. Gigolos. That's just like the best. It's like the yeah. best Blondie song and one of the best Marauder songs. Funny, he wrote he wrote a song for that movie because they wanted a movie song from him, and he he liked Blondie. He calls them in to record it, and Debbie Harry is like, I, I don't get this song. You know, this song is silly. And she rewrites it. And it's another thing I like about Giorgio Moroder. He doesn't, uh, uh, he, he wasn't pissy. He, he, she was like, I can do better. And he said, oh, cool, go. And she writes the lyrics to Call Me, and now it's a classic. Wasn't Stevie Nicks like the first person who was supposed to sing that? Oh, that I don't know. And then, and then yeah, after that, that. They, they brought in uh, Blondie. Yeah, that that would be weird. But <laughs> that would not be a good song. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, you you gotta just say like Danger Zone. Down, 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 down. Come on, like any of that stuff from Top Gun. <laughs> so- I think we do did that a hundred times during that Logman episode <laughs> on Top Gun. Do, 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 yeah. do. <laughs> But like, here's yeah. here's a and, guy and who not I... only defined the disco era, but like, in the era that rejected disco, he's like, okay, you want you know soulless electronic pop music? I got your soulless electronic pop music that isn't disco, and he's so much mm-hmm. more responsible for like, that sort of generic '80s sound yeah. than people think he is. <laughs> Do you think Simpson and Bruckheimer could have made the movies that they made so successfully without Georgie Marauder? Mm-hmm. Unless they found there was some other person who's even more talented that never succeeded. 
But I, I, I actually think of him more for that than Disco. It's like I know Disco that 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 Studio Fifty Four sound is kind of where he became a big deal. But I really think of him as the '80s almost soft rock, almost obnoxious music, yeah. like the Top Gun soundtrack or Electric Dreams one of the worst goddamn films ever made and really <laughs> even his music is unlistenable the precursor to her <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah but it's funny how the song basically was a huge hit and nobody remembers the movie at all yeah it's yeah it's Cyrano de Bergerac where a guy buys a personal computer that for somehow is not only more advanced than any computer we have now it also talks like Bud Court <laughs> and it it falls in love with the girl like in in the apartment complex and he sort of Cyrano de Bergerac's a relationship for the guy and yeah. I think at that point I changed channels because I was at home and we had HBO and I was flicking around and I wanted to see Virginia Madsen's boobs. My, yeah. my memory of Electric Dreams is that that was the day that I was at our buddy Joe Rice's house and I had eaten some like frozen chicken strips and gotten food poisoning. And so I was lying in a bed in their house while Electric Dreams played on HBO and occasionally getting up and vomiting. But I was trying so hard to like <laughs> the movie it. because it had a computer in it, and you know I'm I'm a giant yeah. nerd. <laughs> well, it's just funny that that song is him and Phil Oakey from Human League because Phil Oakey has acknowledged that Marauder basically changed the direction of Human League uh, from when they started because it was like they came up in that post punk era and it was all very stripped down and sparse, and then they heard Marauder like, oh fuck this, this this is better, and so then yeah. you get the Human League that everybody sort of knows and loves from. Uh, from the early 80s. So yeah. that's a, Next that's year's a 80s one. cruise. They're going to be there. Bam. Mm-hmm. Hey, I wonder if ask them all about happens. the Moreau. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, Lamal will be there too. I don't know, but never ending story. That was a Marauder Jam. Yeah. yeah. Big Marauder Jam. That's another one that's bigger than the movie, as far as I can tell. Right? I don't know. That movie that did kind of suck, big. so I can, <laughs> I can see it sinking into its own shittiness. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's uh, people like know the songs, and they're like, "Oh yeah!" And then you listen to them, and some of them you're sort of like, "It's really not that good." It's yeah, not that good. And that's what he's known for mostly is that '80s soundtrack stuff. That's what's funny. Yeah. Uh, but I think all his best work was prior to that, or maybe I think this the second best Berlin song is uh, "Take My Breath Away." Yep. Yeah. It's it, it's a band I did not think would have another hit. You know. I thought they were just going to fade out. Well, I think No More Words is also a Marauder talk song, right? Maybe. I don't know. I I think it is. Did Marauder work on Love Life? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, did you guys know, know they'd be nuts know. not to work with him again? I mean, <laughs> did you guys know that he also produced Love Missile F111 by Sig Sig Sputnik? No, <gasps> really? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, that was part of my my background stuff that I was looking at. I was like, what? Wow! Are you, what? Holy shit! Yeah, that was exactly God, what I can said. Can we talk about Sig Sig Sputnik for a minute? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you know more about the mythology than any of us. Oh my god! So Six Six Sputnik is 
Um, oh, Tony James from Generation X uh, was the, I believe he was the bass player. And, you know, Billy Idol went off and did his solo career and kind of left the rest of them, you know, with nothing better to do. And they made this bizarre, like, stunt <laughs> band, right? Like, Six Six Sputnik, they, like, negotiated a two-record deal for two million pounds up front, and they sold ad space on the record. And then they proceeded <laughs> to shit out, like, the most, you know, the... Talk about doing it fast, right? They just crank out <laughs> this album that's basically just the same thing over every song is like that. Yeah. And and then they just like I don't know, they got way high and just got out like the delay effects and the guitar pedals and just started dicking with them and making all sorts of goofy ass, you know, sounds and and they had yeah, yeah, they got their hands on an early sampler and started spazzing out with it. It's awesome. It's so dumb. It's so awesome. That first 6-6 six, six Sputnik album is called Flaunt It. And for me, I know this is sacrilege, people, but for me, that album is the soundtrack to Super Mario Brothers 1. Because we would just plug in the Nintendo and crank that shit up and play Super Mario Brothers to 6-6 six, six Sputnik, and it was glorious. It's stupid. I just love the idea of any band saying, hey, fuck them, if they're that stupid to pay us this much money to buy ad space, let's do whatever we want. <laughs> Cable is dead. Low power TV. Here and now. Network 21. Network 21. Network 21. Network 21. Yeah. Fucking show them. Exactly. <laughs> so when I, yeah, when I saw that uh, Marauder's name rolled through on that, that's that, like Eric said, I was like, holy shit. Cause that's a giant yeah. one from the eighties for us. So he literally that's has his dirty little, dirty little handprints on just about everything uh, from when I grew up at least. So yeah. it's not something I, I really recognized until like the last three days. It was revelatory. Yeah, I gotta say, I find these music shows we do fun, but it is always sort of difficult to know what to talk about. It's like, I'd rather everyone just sort of listened to this stuff, right? Um, so I, I'm gonna have a, a, a SoundCloud list for the uninitiated. Uh, I think you mean a Spotify, but yeah. Marotorisms? What did I say? SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, we'll have a Spotify and an Apple Music. A Spotify, playlist. yeah, a Spotify oh, list God. of this stuff, because you really need to hear it to to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Except don't that's put just three bozos talking about it. Yeah, but don't put "Meet Me Halfway" on there, because oh, that does I'm not, not deserve. I'm not putting that in. I'm. I might not put in "Electric Dreams." I oh, it's most definitely. <laughs> you know what? I'll put in. I'll put in the 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 theatrical trailer for the movie "Electric Dreams," where there you can you hear part of it. No, and, no. Uh, meet me halfway and put "Electric Dreams" in the in the play. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, there, but hey, yeah, check the show notes uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and there will be links to those playlists, and then you can hear 16th notes for days, people. Yeah. Did you did you guys also hey. stumble across uh, when he did an entire album uh, for Battlestar Galactica music, but like disco? What have you seen? Yeah, that you was can... no, no, that was him. I knew of yeah. that. I didn't yeah. know that was him. Wow. Yeah, his name's all over Jesus. it. Jesus, <laughs> so I was like, oh that, god, 
<laughs> That's another thing. Man knew how to find coke. Oh, yeah. Well, he is Italian, right? He's got the mustache <laughs> to prove it. That's what I'm saying. He's like, if Kraftwerk figured out how to like party and get laid, that's Giorgio Moroder, right? Like, yeah. yeah, disco Kraftwerk. They're all exactly. like lonely in their in their computer rooms, and Moroder is like out there, like yeah, snorting lines off of yeah. the hookers. Yeah. Get it done. Yeah. And stuff. I think yeah, I think that's why he would in the studio. He'd be like, get it done. Just do it. Just just, just do it. Just do that. Don't overtake it. Just do it. Well, there's one uh, when his album E equals MC squared came out, like '79, I guess it was. I f- there's a promo reel on YouTube. It's like two minutes and 30 seconds or something. But it's basically just them talking about Georgie LaRoder is a producer and he's making this new electronic album, blah, blah, blah. And it's all this behind the scenes <laughs> stuff with him in the studio. And it's just him like <laughs> pressing buttons and playing with the vocorder shit. And it's like, that is just <laughs> the most asinine, uninteresting thing to something that's really kind of neat. <laughs> it's like the they end wanted product to interview is him, so much he, better. <laughs> they wanted to interview him, but it kept going like... <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a goofy fucking career. And it's so funny because his early stuff is just not anything like what he's known for. That's what is so weird. Uh, yeah, it's like Tiki Lounge music. <laughs> it's like, if you found, like, it's one of his first albums from 1969. It's called This Is Bubblegum. That's the title. This Is Bubblegum. And it's literally just like Partridge Family meets Love and Spoonful kind of shit. I mean, it's just pop confections that have zero calories. Uh, like yummy, yummy, yummy. Is one of the song titles. Music well, that was him. That was him too. Have no calories, yeah. but yeah. at least it got interesting when he brought on the synthesizers. Yeah. You know, as we talk uh, more, we talk about this. The more things I end up going, that was him. Exactly. <laughs> and that was like literally like the last two or three days of me just uh, prepping. He's going, wait, 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 back it up. That one, okay, and then move on to yeah. the next. Listen, uh, listen to to his music. You're going to find an appreciation for something in there because he spans so many, you know, different things. Just lovely. I just yeah. love his stuff. Even I think the stuff I don't like, I kind of like. Uh, would you say though that he he hit his peak uh, with the Donna Summer stuff though in the seventies? Fuck no. Oh, okay. oh no, I, I don't think it. he even he got started. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I meant in the seventies. But yeah, that's definitely the divider line that you brought up, Eric, is that Midnight Express um, yeah. went gangbusters, and then that sort of made him no longer do actual like album music. It was all like soundtrack stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, he kind of hit a peak in disco with Donna Summer, and then, you know, the sky wasn't high enough, so he yeah. just sort of moved on to a new thing. Yeah. And his peak in soundtracking, I would say, is Top Gun. Yeah. Say what definitely. you want about that film. The music's great. Definitely. But that's to me is like, that's a weird thing. Not many artists have a distinct dividing line. It's like, this is this, is this era, and they're very uh, notable and illuminary. And then this is the next era, and they're also illuminary, but they're two distinct things. It's like yeah. rare that that happens. Uh, and, or, yeah, and certainly they don't cross into different you know mediums. Yeah. Madonna always was just doing music for discos no matter how she recreated herself she she was never anything but you know that yeah georgia maroder just moved around probably doing the badassest ringtones you ever heard (laughs) 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 well that's what's funny is that i started thinking about the soundtrack stuff too and it's like you can hear his fingerprints in all of the other major synth composers of the 80s so it's like jan hammer Mm -hmm. 
uh, Harold Faltermeyer, who used to work with Marauder, uh, yeah. Vangelis. I mean, it's like you can hear, like I was thinking of uh, the end credits to Blade Runner and it sounds exactly like a Marauder song mm-hmm. to me, but yeah. it's Vangelis. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so then then you start thinking about, well, this guy totally cribbed here and this guy took yeah. from that. And it's like, so you know, it, it all comes back to Marauder. You know who I also hear a lot of Marauder in? Philip Glass. And I don't think anyone would, I, maybe only he would ever admit to it, but there is a lot of Giorgio Marauder that, that syncopato kind of yeah. repetition yeah, yeah. in his stuff. Massive repetition and then female vocals on top. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that could even go back to someone like Eno as well. Uh, it's kind of the same same bag. So it's, yeah, yeah, true. Definitely a weird thing. Because if you look at like the experimental electronic stuff, it's like Eno, Kraftwerk, uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, and Marauder. And then none of them went into disco except Marauder, and then he springboards onto something else entirely. I think the, he's like beyond music <laughs> at this yeah. stage to me. It's so weird. Uh, it's so larger than life. You know, nobody's like, hey, in the late 70s and the early 80s, everybody who played guitar kind of sounded like they were playing guitar. And, you know, but, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're playing a synthesizer at that time, there's only so many options, you know? Yeah. Well, but, you know, but they started with the, the Moog, and then what, 1980, 81, like the MIDI comes out and then everything sort of shifts from there, right? Yeah. But but it's very much, yeah, he's very much following the trajectory of, you know, the new toys you could buy, the, you know, the yeah. Juno 8 and the Rollins, and then you get to the to the mid-80s and you get the FM synthesis with the DX7 becoming ubiquitous and... Yeah. Yeah. And he dig lines of blow on all of them. Yes! <laughs> and why the fuck As you not? do. As you do. <laughs> why the fuck not? Chop uh, that shit up. Let's do some rails and record some shit now. <laughs> oh, so wrap it up, Lord. everybody. Stop listening to us. Go check the playlist in our show notes and, and listen to some Giorgio Moroder and do some blow off of uh, Hooker's boobs and, and, and party on with your Studio 54 self. Yeah, and yeah. don't forget we have... You, Giorgio. <laughs> don't forget we also Ciao. have uh, shows on uh, Top Gun and uh, uh, what's the other one? Over the Top. Where we yeah. talk about him a lot. So yeah. So you can find those. You can find those on our website. Our website is maghuge.com. M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Or if you subscribe to the podcast, just you know, scroll down and, and listen to all of them. Listen to every single episode. People do it. Do it. You gotta listen Don't to all of them. Don't cost nothing. Yeah. Not like we're on uh paid Spotify. We're we're not one of those bastards who make you listen to commercials. Yeah. We, yeah. We're not sh- we're not we don't have a Patreon. We yeah. give. We just give. Paywall. Yeah. What's a paywall? But the least you could do is like rate us or, or share it on your social feeds. Like just do that. That'd be dope. Yeah. Uh, or you know, reach out to us. You can hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge or on Facebook, we're the Magnificently Huge Podcast, and we're on Instagram, or you can email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com and say, yo guys, I'm completely hopped up on Coke and Marauder, and I can't leave my house. 